Hi, I'm Janine. This is Outside the Box. And today we're going to talk about being better humans. I'm in conversation with Anthony Williams, founder and CEO of MindWell LLC, game-changing yoga, healing, and meditation experiences, as well as Dr. Jessica Drew DePaz, the director of mindfulness services at UC Irvine's Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute. Welcome. Thank so glad you. you join me. Thank you for having us. I love how the both of you connected. You're both on my show and you reached out to one another. Uh, Anthony, as you know, we, well, Jessica knows, we go way back. We have known each other since I think we were 14 or 15 in Stanford, Connecticut. And what was so interesting to me, Anthony, is that you experienced so much racism, not only in high school, but at Tufts. And Jessica, I was so surprised, happily surprised to hear you have all this research background um, so let's start with you first, Jessica. What made you decide to, you did a dissertation in the area of racism? I did. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist. And while in graduate school, I became very interested in race relations um, and did a doctoral project. So I have a, a if you have a PhD, you do a dissertation. If you have a PsyD, which is a doctorate in psychology, you do an applied dissertation where you look at the research and then you can develop a product. Oh. And I decided to do mine on uh, doing anti-racist work and mobilizing the white community to be involved in anti-racist work because I think that's the group that's typically not been involved. And by the way, this was 20 years ago that I did this. That's <laughs> um, amazing. So I know there's a lot more kind of right now on the streets, a lot of, it's a very diverse group that's been um, involved in protests around Black Lives Matter. But I think in, you know, there's really a history that it's usually people of color who are working for the change around race relations. And I felt like um, I wanted to be a part of that change and I had I read Malcolm X at that time his autobiography and he said if well-intentioned white people want to do uh, good work that they should actually do work in their own community and teach the white community about racism and how to be anti-racist and so I developed um, a college curriculum on that that stemmed Amazing. from first develop I first interviewed white social activists um, across the nation to understand what shifted their identity development. Mm -hmm. And then I took what I learned from them and tried to build that into a class um, to teach students um, about racism in our country and about white privilege and how to do anti-racist work. And I taught that class at UC Santa Cruz. Amazing. Are there a lot of colleges that are doing this kind of program? Um, there have been some, and, you know, right now I think uh, Trump is dismantling these kinds of programs and our government, and um, I think, you know, there have been some schools that have, uh, and universities that have been looking at, uh, at whiteness. Mm -hmm. And Anthony, when I approached you and said, I want to do this series called Better Humans, what did you think? Oh, it's... It's great. It's needed. It's absolutely needed. I mean, I've been thinking this my whole life, and especially yeah. now as things are coming to a head. It's like when you're having these conversations, this is not about Republican 
Democrat, left, right. This is a, a conversation of humanity. Yes. It's like you don't want any human being to be treated like that, regardless if they had drugs on them, if they were drunk, if they had a counterfeit. You don't execute someone in the middle of the street. So we need to really understand when we have this conversation and this kickback. You know, there's so much kickback about talking about what kind of person he was. Yeah, okay. Does that mean that he gets killed the way he is killed? He's a human mm. being. Exactly. If you get killed a dog like that in the street, yeah. people would have been up in arms. So yeah. we need to really start to understand, like, this is, this is a human question, not a left-right Democrat, right. uh, Republican question. I often thought if that had been a woman, would she still be alive? I think we, we know the answer. I mean, I, most likely. I just feel like it was just horrific. But probably to you, it's something that is not so shocking, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's not. It is, and it is not. Right. Because I, I don't, you know, I don't put anything past America. I don't put anything past America. Right? Sadly, yeah. So, yeah, sadly. But to see that, it's like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. But again, you know, I was just, you know, in doing something, uh, writing a couple of months ago, and I, it came to me that I saw a homeless Black man get beat down in Harvard Square mm. when I was a college mm-hmm. student at Touch University. And I came upon that. And I was like, okay, what can I do here? So I kind of got past the, the cops that were kind of, you know, guarding while the other cops beat him down. And they had him against this, you know, if you know anything about Mass Ave, going down Mass Ave into Harvard Square, there's right. a big uh, news screen there. And there's like that red brick building uh, yes. wall there. He was right in front of that. So right dead center Harvard Square. And I got past the cops and I went up to him. And I was like, you know, maybe six feet from this guy. And what was going on? And I could see this guy bleeding profusely. And, you know, he was holding his bloody teeth in his hand. And I was just like, you know, what is going on here? Like, if this man has done something, I was like, arrest him. Yeah. Arrest him. Don't just be right. in the street beating right. him down like Don't this. Don't him. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the cops was like, he looked at me, goes, hey, Charlie, he knows this guy. He wants some. He knows this guy. So he's beckoning the other cop like, yeah, you're next. And so in that moment, I was like, it was like either I stayed there and push forward and get beat down or I try to disappear as I came in. And so I never felt so powerless in, in, in my life. But again, that's back in like, you know, we're talking 86, 87 to see this guy get beat down and mm-hmm. in Har- the great Harvard Square. I lived so, in Brookline for, I don't remember, 12 years. So I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. What were people doing? Were they just having the typical bystander behavior, like just watching? You know, people weren't really paying attention. Mm. Like they had things cordoned off. So I had to like really push through to get to it. But it was just like kind of business, you know, as, yeah. as usual. Mm-hmm. People just doing their own things. Oh, I guess a black guy's getting beat down and just... I mean, there was no major, you know, uh, up or protest or anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was just kind of normal. And I was just like, yeah, I was pretty much the only one that said anything as far as I know. Um, and that's the problem. Right. That's the problem. Apathy. Yeah. 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 That's the problem. Yeah. What do you think? You know, we don't... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, no, I, go ahead. Why don't you finish your train of thought? No, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's the, it's reminiscent of the poem by Martin Niemöller. You know, first they came for the trade unionists. I was not a trade unionist, so I did not speak out. Then they came for the Jews. I was not a Jew and I did not speak out. They came for the socialists. I was not a socialist, so I did not speak out. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. We are at that moment now in history again. Yeah. We have to understand that, you know, if this is happening to your neighbor, this is happening to the person across the street, this is happening to that girl that you don't know, that guy that you don't know, it can be you, yes. especially in Trump America. He does not care about anybody outside of himself and his family. If we haven't figured that out by now, it's, it's sad. He, right. he's, he, he's coming for everybody. So yeah. we need to really understand that. Yeah. I was watching um, a talk. Let me just grab my piece of paper here. Um, I was watching a talk this morning. I had sent you this video um, because I went to BU and they have now have a center for anti-racist research, which I thought that was so interesting. And uh, founded by activists, Ibram Kendi. Is that how you pronounce his name? Ibram? Mm -hmm. um, and it's so interesting how people talk about anti-racism and some people say, well, I'm not racist. And his video is really interesting and poignant. Mm. Um, what do you think we can learn from this moment about anti-racism? You know, what, what, can we, what can we teach young kids about how to be better humans growing up? You want to start, Jessica? Sure. Um, I mean, I think one place to start is if we're in the United States, I mean, the United States was really built on racism. Yes. So it's, it's, um, I think people don't want to see that in themselves. But when we start with the context and maybe move away from the individual, right? Uh, I, I don't, I mean, we need to look at individuals too. But when we just start with the larger context of this country, um, if you're if you're born into you know a society or, or moved to a society that where racism is a part of the foundation, I mean to say I am not racist, it's it's like how did how would I not be racist kind of growing up yeah. in this context? Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's so much guilt involved, but I think I mean part of the work to me for you know for white people is um, is that that it's just important to really look at where we are right now and, and where we have been and to be able to take that responsibility and recognize that, that by virtue of growing up here, like racism is within everything. Yes. And to be anti-racist means to start to take action around it. That if you're doing nothing, the status quo here is racism. Yes. So to do nothing is actually supporting a system that's racist. Yeah, and I want to add to, I, I was watching something earlier and he was saying how, you know, um, anti, well, racism, excuse me, is based on hate and ignorance. And so I think we have a lot of work to do. And I think this is our time with COVID and everything that's been going on as an awakening, an important awakening, that we can't just sit back anymore and just be bystanders, what's going on. And it strikes me too that you asked the question, what can we teach the children? And I'm thinking, 
we need to learn from the children. There's nothing more godly than the child. Like mm-hmm. as they, we as they grow up, we mess them up. But yeah. children ask the most poignant questions, simple point. Why can't this black kid play in the park? Yes. Why is why is that okay? Kids will ask those questions. We have to deal with those questions. I was uh over in Sausalito at some this is be pre-COVID. And I was out at this, you know, outside bar, this and that. It was packed. It's the happy hour. And I'm sitting there at the beach waiting for a friend to come up. I'm the only black thing in the place besides the, the table, you know. <laughs> so I'm surrounded. And I'm just sitting there. And I really feel like, you know, I'm in my own little world. You know, people are just doing their best to not see me. And it was just this little, the whitest of white girls. She was like Shirley Temple. She was mm-hmm. probably like four or five years old. She comes and she, she sat right next to me. She was like putting on her shoes and this and that. She was getting ready to go out to the water. And she just sat next to me. She goes, hello, how are you? Aww. You know, out of, out of every, we're talking, the, you know, grown folks, yeah. intellectuals, you know, yeah. Ivy Leaguers, all of that. Right. No one said, hey, this little girl, just, you know, how you doing? She saw a person. She acknowledged <laughs> me. She went about her business. And that made me feel good inside. So it's not about what, you know, we can teach the kids. Mm-hmm. What can we learn? From yes. Yeah. Really to see people as people and not yeah. anything on the surface. And they don't, and they don't get it. When you see someone like uh, that, you know, being denied or treated bad, they'll ask, they'll ask the question, why? Mm-hmm. Why can't that, why can't I play with that kid? Right. Well, why can't this guy come in a park? Yes. Why is it okay to kill this person? Why? It, just, it doesn't make sense. And then we start to teach them our racism, depending on who we are. Then yes. we start to teach them you yeah. know, our racism. And then we try to justify. But what is the justification for a kid not being able to play in the park? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so once they start learning that, once, which is probably pretty early, that they begin to get messages around race and um I know one of the books uh, written quite a while ago um, by one of the consultants on my doctoral project was by a professor, Beverly Tatum, who wrote, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? You know, so it can like start so young that we start to get messages. And, and then I think like we need to start countering that for our children and having discussions. I have a 13-year-old son and I have like asked myself, at different points in his development, when should I be speaking to him about these things? And I think one of the things I've realized is that when my answer is like, not now, like, like I don't know that I wanna go there with him right now about like, te- like sort of sharing the realities of what's happening in our world around racism. Sometimes I think that's part of white privilege to not have to go there now, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like I, I think that that many people of color have to teach their kids at a young age, like to that, you know, to act a certain way around police officers or they may like get hurt. And, and I didn't have to give my son that message, but there came a point pretty early on where I was like, if I don't start saying this now, it's like, I, this is my white privilege that I don't need to. So I, I, at, you know, at a fairly young age, I was explaining to him that, that it's not the same for everyone and that there are people that don't feel safe or protected by yeah. certain police officers. I'm, there, I know there's many out there that are working to protect sure. people, yeah. but that some are not. Mm-hmm. 
I can remember one of the first lessons I learned from my grandfather in Richton, Mississippi. I was about four years old. And I, I can vividly remember him telling me, you know, if you're ever away from home and the sun has gone down and it's dark and he said, you see headlights coming, go off into the woods and put your belly flat on the ground. Whoa. That was one of the first lessons that I learned from my grandfather. And how so, old were you, Anthony? Act, Did you, yeah, how old were you? I was like, I was like four, three or four, right when I was, you know, I have a conscious remember. So yeah, about four, three or four. Three were or you four. Living, living there or visiting? No, I was living there. Yeah. So I was born in Connecticut, but then I went down like probably before I was one. My mom dropped us off with our grandparents in, in Richmond, Mississippi. So we mm-hmm. spent like a solid, you know, four years mm-hmm. in Richmond, Mississippi and came back up like I turned about five in, in Stanford again. So mm-hmm. I, I remember that. And so we can act like, you know, you have your Candace Owens of the world that are, you know, talking about there's no racism and all that. We can act like that, but I know she can't go to South Boston. She can't saunter down the street in South Boston. So they can talk all they want. And people are like, oh, there's, 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 no, there's no systemic racism, isn't that? Okay, go to South Boston. You know, go, go to parts of Florida. Go, go to the South. Go around this country, and they will clear that up for you. Right. Anthony, if you and I were walking down the street in some of these areas holding hands, how would people hmm. react? Oh, oh, everything. You, you get everything. Every, everything. Like I said, I was stopped in, this is, you know, a couple years ago, I was stopped in, in Marin after uh, a yoga class. I was with a yoga instructor who happened to be a white woman mm-hmm. and the cops stopped me. I knew immediately what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I had to tell her like, okay, just relax, you know, just listen to what they say. I couldn't give her the whole thing. It's like, this is probably the first time you're going to experience the cops in a different way mm-hmm. because you're with me. Right. This is the first time. And so yeah. he came in. He's like, you know, where are you going? Uh, uh, where, uh, where are you coming from? Is this a stolen car? <laughs> he, he just went in and I was just like, you know, and I had made up my mind, you know, OK, no, I'm just going to oh, reach out and I'm gonna touch this person in this heart. I'm trying to get home safe. That's what yeah. it is. And then he even asked her, like, you know, let me see your ID. And she's like, what do you mean see my ID? And so she's going back like, no, I was like. Give him your ID. This this is the other side. Right. This is the other side. So welcome yeah. to my world, right? Welcome to my world. Yeah. And so yeah, be very mindful walking around with you holding hands or just walking with you, period. Mm-hmm. I have to be. I have to be. So one of the questions you asked was, you know, uh, how does racism affect your life? I have to be vigilant of where I am at all times to protect this. I am a dark black man. For mm-hmm. me to walk around like my color does not mean something in America would be my death sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, don't go down that street. Mm-hmm. Don't stop here. Don't do that. Don't do this. Back away from that. You have to be all, all, all the time. You have to be on top of it. Yeah. That's how I go through life. I remember being five years old or four years old and visiting my grandparents and knowing my grandfather was prejudiced and I didn't like him. I just didn't like him. And we were driving and all of a sudden he cut this man off and he said something Yiddish, something I thought was derogatory. And I was like, what did you say? And I was living in New York at the time. And all of a sudden this very, very tall black man got out of his car. He looked like, 
you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he got out of his car and he got out of his car and he walked to the side where my grandfather's window was. And my grandfather only rolled his window down about an inch. And he was like, yes. And the man very politely said, you know, you cut me off. But I could tell it was so inappropriate. Like I picked up those vibes with what he said that he was prejudiced and he continued to perpetuate his racist behavior. And I was never close to him, but I could tell from an early age. Yeah. Yeah, we have to, you know, I think again, Jessica, just your story is so you know, inspirational because you get to the, that place where you realize, wow, there's so much I don't know. Right. And it's at that moment where, you know, you can, you can go this way or you can go that mm-hmm. way. There's work that I need to do. So yeah. even me, you know, receiving, being a recipient, of this racism but still for me to get to a place that what I do now I had to do work so mm-hmm. in terms of we talk about talking to strangers I speak to strangers because that's what I want I mean because a simple you never know yeah a simple acknowledgement of another human being can be what they need in that moment to save their lives yes I know I had said let me add to that I was saying earlier how I was taught don't talk to strangers when I was little, but I wouldn't listen to that. And I love talking to strangers, especially in Manhattan. And and now in COVID and quarantine, I specifically will talk to anyone because you never know who who needs something or who's going through something. And I think this has been this incredible awakening that we had to go through because we need to be better. Yeah. You know? And the process, I think, you know, doesn't end. It's there's not like an end point to okay, now I'm the best I can be. I think right. the moment we feel like that, that's like the biggest dangerous place to be. Um, you know, I think part of uh, why I connected with uh, Anthony too. I had before I was interviewed by you, Janine. I watched your interview show with Anthony and you know, was just really struck um, by, you know, Anthony, you shared like, this is sort of, I have to be vigilant. It's like, it's always on my mind. Like it's, and I think in hearing you talk and we have a shared also, um, a shared passion around mindfulness, (laughs) um, which is part of why I watched your interview. But as I watched and listened and heard you talking a lot about like race and the way this has affected your life, I don't know. I was also just struck by feeling like I have a lot more work to do. And I mean, I, I've known for a long time that I'm never going to be at whatever place I want to be at. But I, I feel like there were many, many years where like combating white privilege was at the forefront of my life. Um, that was like what all of my work was doing and it changed all of my relationships in my life. Um, and yeah. I think in this you time know, that we're in, it's like, I want to return to that and make it a part of my sort of every moment experience. Yeah. Go ahead, Anthony, what were you going to say? It, it, there's so, no, there's just so, the, what I have realized in my life and my travels is the bounty of life is in what we share. Mm. That's the bounty of life. That's the soul. I, you know, two quick stories. One, I drove to Ukiah yesterday. I was like, yeah, let me get my car. I drove out there and there was this shop where they were hanging boutiques in the middle of nowhere. I was like, and I actually bought a couple of nice boutiques, um, little, um, what do you call those? Little tapestries. 
And mm. so I went in and there was this, you know, white girl in there by herself. And we just started talking, this and that. We laughed like we were friends from, she's from Aww. like, you know, a town right out of Cleveland, Ohio. And she's getting ready. She's going back today. She's going to go see her father. We talked about that. We talked about my friend in Oberlin. And, you know, I was just clowning, just clowning it up. She's like, oh my God, thanks for stopping in. I spent some money in there. She's like, oh my God. It was just so great. We both went away with so much energy. Nice. That's the bounty of life. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Juxtaposition that to, I'm waiting, you know, I'm in Berkeley and I'm waiting for a friend. Arsha was in my car just, you know, doing a couple of things before I got out of the car. And one of her neighbors came by and just body was kind of like, she kind of had like that, that scoliosis thing going on and shoulder was high and this and that. And she was walking her dog and she came by the car and she looked at me. We, we locked eyes and she just gave me like a snarl. Like she was like the next Karen. I'm going to call the cops because you're sitting in your car. That's the energy I got. And she walked away and I looked at her body because that's what I do. And I'm like, you know, all that anger. Hate. The hate had perpetuated hate itself. Is, is yeah. The body bears the burden. It's like we could have shared a little life. A smile would have really opened you up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But you want to walk around with this hate. So, like, so the bounty, there's so much healing and the, just a smile. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Oh, I'm good. So that sedates the sympathetic nervous system. I mean, it's <laughs> science behind it. It's like, so you're holding on. What are you holding on to? Right. You know, yeah. just a simple, even a, just an acknowledgement. Just, I see you. I, human right. being. Hey, human being. I see. Hey, yeah, I see you. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Keep, it Keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? There's so much in that. We, we overlook that. We overlook that. And there's so much healing in simply that. Yes. Absolutely. I I think so many, um, many white people think that to, you know, address racism means giving something up. Whereas like what you're describing is actually it's, there are, there's like so much to gain, like that, that experience that you had in Ukiah, like that moment, that time together, that it actually, it changes your whole world when you start doing this kind of work on yourself. I met a gentleman. He's, I think he's, he's he, he was on Time Time Magazine. I think he, they had him on the front, the cover of Time Magazine. Anyway, he grew up Amish. He grew up Amish and like he came out and like he's in the tech world now. So like he's the darling of the tech world because his mind, he can go back, you know, and then bring it back to present. And he was at one of my friend's wedding. So we just, it was like a little, you know, cozy thing. There was like only 10 people there. And we started talking and like that came up. And I mean, I was all over this guy. I was like, hey, if I'm bothering you, let me know. Because I have so many questions. And he was like, no, it's great. I mean, and I just, it was so rich. Yes. I'm like, wow, dude, what, I, want, I'm, I want to get inside your mind. Tell me what that was like and what is it like now coming back? You know, I have my own little moments of being in the desert and coming back and didn't know what the World Wide Web was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine this guy. I'm just like, dude. You know, so again, just that bounty of life and sharing and exploring and living life. Like, yes. that's why we're here. Right. To connect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if, and if you explain that to your kids when they're little, to, you know, that it is okay to talk to strangers, obviously, considering their circumstances, 
especially not online, you know, <laughs> but it, it is, that's what life is. It's making these beautiful connections. My younger daughter has a summer job. She started in July. It's the best thing that ever happened. Every day she meets new people. She comes home with new stories, all different ages, all different people. Yeah. She yeah. sounds just like her mom. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And again, like the children already know that. Children speak, you, hey, how you doing? Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell them that. Back people are telling them, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. I was in, uh, I think it's Coeur d'Alene, right next to Washington, not next to Spokane. Is that Idaho? Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Okay, I don't know. Anywhere, anywhere, white town, USA. <laughs> so I was there, we were walking down the street, it was great, and there was this kid, he was about 12 years old with his family, and he stopped on the corner, and, and he had, he started doing this little dance, and they were just like, hey, you know, Josh, stop doing that. And I saw that, and I went up to him, I was like, hey, Josh, man, let me see that dance, baby. Lay it out, <laughs> lay it out. And he started dance, I was like, yeah, and I did a little dance, and this, I said, hey, I said, every two corners, you stop and show this town your dance. Don't let anybody else tell you anything else. And he was just like, yeah, he was, he was empowered and emboldened to do his dance. It's like, why are you telling a kid not to dance? Why, right. why are you telling him to hold back? Hold back. Don't yeah. tell any of those people, don't dance. It's like, no, man, do your thing. And he's like, yeah, I got, I got the license from this black guy. Do, my <laughs> dance in the of the do your thing, baby. Show him what's up. And that's life, you know, that's the, that's the bounty of life. I know that kid is definitely telling that story. He'll so never forget you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So we don't have to look that far. Start looking to your right. Hey, mm -hmm. how you doing? What's going on? What's your, <laughs> hey, what's going on? It, it starts right there. Stop being right. scared of people. I agree. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know we have Such to a light in this world, Anthony. Oh, isn't he? Yes. I said, you're such a light in this world. Well, you know, thank you guys are too. I mean, that's why we're here, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, you have to constantly remind yourself. And again, I, I know when I say hi to people that don't know me, I know it throws them off. And I keep, you know, like, they look at me <laughs> like, like that. And you love like, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Do I know you? I was like, no. And I come right, I'm Anthony. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't keep a beat. I keep coming. I keep, they're like, okay, what, what's going on here? It's, mm -hmm. hey, we're human. It's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we have to remind each other, wake up, wake up. It's okay. Yes. And you go outside of America too. People pretty much, you know, they kind of look at each other. They kind of talk. And then when you go to Africa, I mean, it's like, it's a sin to see people and not, they don't even understand that. How can mm -hmm. you see people and not say hi? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We need to get back to that place. That's, that's who we are. That's the essence of who we are. Right. That's what namaste means. I recognize the God in you. You recognize the God in me. And if you really believe that, you know, if, if I believe Janine was a God, if I believe Jesse was a God, would I let you pass by? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Would, I, would, I, would, I, would I withhold anything from you? It's like, that's God. Like, hey, I got some oranges. I got some water over here. I got a sandwich. <laughs> hey, what you need, God? What's going on? Let's hang out. Let's kick it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Definitely. That's what not means, but we're not, we're talking that, we're chanting, but we're not living mm -hmm. that. Don't, mm -hmm. let me, don't let me get going on this, but anyway, I'm going to shut up. This is why we need you on this show, because you're okay. showing us how to be a better human. You are. <laughs> you are. Well, you know, you guys are doing the same thing. The fact that you're here and 
fact that you're having this, Janine, you know, and again, the fact that you, Jessica, that you went on your journey, you know, and so you're here. So no, we, we all are. Hopefully we can, we can spread it from here. <laughs> so I know we have to wrap up soon. Um, where can people find out more about both of you? We'll start with you, Jessica. Well, I am at UC Irvine as Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute. I'm overseeing their mindfulness programs. And so that's, that's where you can find me. And you? You can find, you can find me on mindwell.co, mindwell.co, not com. That's my website. And then I also have an Instagram handle is mindwellhealing, at mindwellhealing. So you can, you can find me there. And Great. if not, you can find Anthony on the street dancing it up with people. Yeah. Yes. Come to yoga class. You see somebody, black man, just busting a warrior too. Join right. in. Exactly. Yes. We can ignore that. We can do that in quarantine. You can wear a mask and get out there. And... Join right, right in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you both so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Janine, for all that you do. Thank you, Janine. Absolutely. All right, I'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you.